Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Final Tackle Podcast. And we are joined by, honestly, a legend of Collingwood. Was part of the Collingwood team that played in both grand finals in 2010, the drawn and the replay. His name is Chris Dawes. Thank you very much for joining us here today. And how was your day so far? Drum Clothing. They are a clothing store company based in Woi Woi, New South Wales, Australia. But guess what? They ship Australia-wide. They have a great range of winter clothing with their current uh, winter drop happening at the moment. So be sure to go through Drum. Tell them CJ sent you from the Final Tackle Podcast. Also, we have uh, discount codes dropping soon. So be sure to keep an eye out on our Facebook and Instagram. I uh, appreciate uh, you know the opportunity to come on and have a chat, CJ. Um, day's been good. I'm what time is it? It's about seven pm um, in the evening. I'm over here in New York, um, where I've been living for the last kind of three years. Yeah, nice. Um, and we'll t- we'll touch on that a little bit later. But let's get stuck in your career stuff. So your grassroots, Sandringham and Hampton. Um, you know what was it like growing up in? Ba- you could really say. Um, clubs and or organizations that are well um, established in the system of AFL. And then obviously, you know, growing up as a kid and all that sort of stuff. And what team did you follow? Yeah. I mean, from, from a footy perspective, I was, um, I, I played juniors and, and loved footy and was a Geelong Cats fan just because that's who my, my dad and older brother had gone for. Yep. Um, and like most kids, you know, when you're 11, 12 years old, I just kind of assumed that I'd play footy for the Cats and in the summer I'd play cricket for Australia and, and yep. didn't think much yep. of it. Yep. And, um, yeah, that's it. And around that sort of 12, 13 years of age, um, I fell in love with basketball, actually, to the point where footy took a real backseat. Oh, wow. Um, and so basketball was my main passion and it's where sort of all my energy went. Um, and actually the only reason I ended up getting back into football was um, going to Brighton Grammar um, and Saturday sport was compulsory. Yep. And we weren't, we weren't a big enough school in the APS to have a basketball team. Um, other schools within the APS had basketball teams as well, but um, being a smaller one, one of the only offerings in winter was football. So I did that because I still liked it and was good at it. Yep. Um, but and I used to try and get out of it when I was in representative <laughs> squads. And then one year in about year 10 of school, I think it was, I, I missed out on one of the state teams. Oh, wow. And uh, and the coach of the first 18 at the time was a recruiter at Richmond as well. Mm-hmm. And so he said, look, mate, run a beep test and we'll bring you to our little preseason weekend camp. Yep. And uh, and I sort of ran an okay beep test. And, um, and as a year 10, they got me involved with the first 18 and, um, really that year was when I, I fell back in love with footy and I saw out my junior basketball career. And then um, I think end of year 11, it must've been, I, I was done with that. I'd seen through that commitment. And so you, and at that point I was on the Sandringham Dragons list, Yeah, but was yep. honestly lucky to be on there. Um, okay. I've played one or two games in that kind of bottom age under 18s year. And I remember one game where I sort of, I, you know, I, I was athletic and enthusiastic um, but had no game sense and, and was pretty awful. And I, I sort of, that typical athlete way, I sort of took a huge contested grab 20 metres out from goal straight in front. And then I think with my set shot, and it was at the Beach Road Oval in Sandringham, I kicked the ground and missed the footy. And um, that sort of summed up where I was at as a footballer yep. at that time. Yep. 
And, uh, and then for whatever reason, that following year, I, I was done with all my basketball going into year 12 and um, just found a bit of confidence and, and had played enough footy by that point um, that all of a sudden I went from barely deserving a game with the Sandy Dragons to, um, you know, that year. Being a regular starter sort of thing. Being, yeah, one of their best players and playing for Victoria. And This episode is brought to you by our proud sponsor, Gold Coast Trading Cards. They are an authorised TLA trading card dealer and they are the NRL collector's choice. Be sure to get all of your NRL trading card needs at Gold Coast Trading Cards. Yeah, I mean, um, sort of for whatever reason, I think it was a combination of getting a bit of confidence and having played enough football by that point came into year 12 and um, and all my focus was on football and ended up putting together a good year and played a good game. That led to a couple of good games. Um, had an okay campaign for Vic Metro um, and then going to the finals for Sandy Dragons. Um, all was looking pretty good and was pretty confident in our final home and away game. Um, you know, we were 10 goals up in the last quarter and I actually had a teammate ran back in with the flight into my space and landed on my leg. And, and that's when I did my ACL. Oh, before you even get your AFL time and ACL's never good far out. Yeah. Look, I think one of the things, you know, looking back on that is it didn't bother me too much at the time. I was feeling fortunate to have at least played a season, yep. you know, a full season in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I don't think I'd realised at that point during my, my top age under 18 year, I don't think I realised how likely I was to get drafted. I, I kind of thought of myself as, yeah, I might get a spot on a rookie list if I'm lucky. Yeah, maybe my, get 60th uh, pick sort of thing. Yeah. Down, I mean, down, yeah, yeah it, like, and that was probably a best case scenario. And and then, when, you know, when I went up to the draft camp yeah. you know, and I was fresh off surgery, I couldn't do much other than interview with the clubs. And then once I started meeting with them, um, I think, you know, most of them said, well, what are you going to do if you don't get drafted? I was like, well, I probably wasn't really expecting to anyway. I'll probably go to university and just rehab my knee and and see if I'm, you know, still enjoying my football, yep. um, which is probably a different experience to what a lot of, um, you know, certainly nowadays a lot of kids, you, you know, you come up from about under-16s onwards and you, yeah. your whole focus is on getting drafted. Mine was much more on trying to win and, and enjoying yep. my footy. Exactly. Um, you, you had a backup for just in case. Yeah, and look, as it turned out, it all sort of went fairly well. I, I don't know if I would have gone much higher in the draft if I hadn't done my knee. Um, mm. The Pies took me in the second round there, and um, look, it, it ended up being again something that I think held me in really good stead for my career because yeah. my first experience on an AFL list was the difficulties of being in rehab, and oh, almost every player will go through a long-term injury at some point or a medium term. Absolutely, and that's yeah. a really challenging thing to be removed from the main training group, to feel different to your teammates, to not get to to compete on a on a weekend, which is you know the whole thrill and, and what makes the hard training sessions worth it. Um, I was working towards that common goal. Yeah, and so I, I was immediately put in that um, you know I guess taken out of that main group and and had to learn how to train, how to push myself when you didn't have a group energy to, to drag you along um, and was fortunate to learn from some, um, you know, some experienced guys who were also in, had long-term injuries and yep. um, taught me how to train hard and how to push myself. Who were some yeah. of those players, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah. I, I remember doing a lot of sessions with Paul LeCuria, Brody yep. Holland, yep. Yep. Um, and both of whom had injuries 
in the back half of their careers, um, you know, at the back end in their final years. Um, so training alongside them, even Alan Didak was coming off an ACL. Yep. Same year I was. He got fast track and came back in about Anzac Day of that Ooh, year. What a, good come, what a quick comeback that was. Well, quicker, yeah. you know, compared to um, nowadays, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, look, that was my first experience in the AFL was not... But those are know, the sort of players you'd want to be surrounded by if you're recovering, like, because they were veterans by that point. Yeah, certainly. I mean, Lecuria and, and Brody Holland, um, they were veterans and really respected guys. And so to be able to see them train and try and emulate them was, again, sort of consider myself fortunate um, for that experience. Yeah. Oh, nice. Honestly, that's that's such an interesting, um, you know, journey from being an AFL fan as a kid, playing it, you know, every weekend to, as you said, you know, Love and falling in love with basketball of all sports, and then working your way back into AFL, and then you know getting that, getting the draft, and then obviously you end up getting your debut. I think it was round nineteen. Oh, I'm I'm probably wrong with that statistic. It was two thousand and eight against St Kilda. I know that much. Um, yeah. and you actually got your first goal in the AFL in your first game, which is quite a pretty cool club to be part of. Talk, talk to me about, you know, tell me about what was it like the week leading up to the game and everything involved with your debut game. Yeah, you're, you're testing the memory a bit now. <laughs> I remember you're, you're right in that it was late 2008 um, and we're playing the Saints at the MCG. I think it was a Saturday night. Oh, um, nice. Oh, perfect, and- pie, perfect pie game that would have been. Yeah, there was sort of 70, 72,000 or something like that at the G. And, Goosebumps. Um, like, I remember very little from the game. I just remember in the warm-up, um, you know, doing the most basic lane work drills that I do four or five times a week yep. and just being really sort of fumbly and jittery in that. Um, and... And so I just remember sort of thinking like, oh God, I'm, I'm close to being overawed by the occasion here and just being, um, yeah, pretty on edge that I kept, you know, sort of like walking over and taking a sip of water and just trying to calm myself down. And then, um, as you mentioned, I was pretty fortunate early on in the game, in, in the first minute or so, um, a ball skidded past my opponent and in, into my arms and I happened to be in the goal square and facing the right way. So I was able to bang through a goal from point blank range. Did and that I, help boost the confidence for that game, do you reckon? I think what that did was I just remember that sort of feeling of like kind of the nerves washing over me and and remember sort of like being obviously pretty pumped up yep. and walking back to my position thinking, well, like at least I've done that. At least, you know, it, it hasn't been a horror debut. I've kicked a goal. Yep. If the rest goes shit, at yeah. least I kicked a goal. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. And then I sort of, yeah, I think I can't remember. I settled into the game. And played okay without setting the world on fire, but just it was, was a decent debut. Game. Yeah, and um, and what was cool about that game was um, the other guy who debuted that night was Johnny McCarthy. Um, oh, wow! So so having that bond with him was awesome. Um, you know that we we both got to share that debut experience together. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and that's honestly pretty pretty crazy to think because they do say that you know in any professional sport be it afl nrl etc that your debut game it goes like that like so bloody quickly like it's it's something that you have to experience firsthand which you have would you say you agree with that statement um i mean it certainly went went really quickly yeah um i mean you think about it my whole career felt like it went pretty quickly um but uh but yeah i mean it was 
the, the debut I remember very little from. I actually got sent um, a clip or something from Instagram the other day of uh, a goal that I'd kicked and I was it was a bit worrying because I looked at it and I could not even remember the game. Wow. Um, do, you, do, would you, do you think, obviously, with these days, the head knocks being a big talking point, do you think maybe that could be a possible uh, reason or is it just you just have a bad memory even before AFL? I mean, I've, I've typically got a pretty good memory and, and, you know, used to, I remember when I was playing, I could name every goal, you know, the circumstance of every goal I'd kicked. Yeah. Um, I think it's more, and in terms of head knocks, I was very fortunate. Never once had a concussion. Oh, or wow. A head very knock lucky. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I know is a rarity <laughs> and that, that's certainly a worry. Yeah. Um, that's not something that's impacted me at all. Um, I think the reason that I, I couldn't remember that is, I just, you know, I haven't thought about football in so long and, gotcha. and memory, you know, so much of your long-term memory is just rehearsed. Yeah. Um, I used to know every goal because I was living in it and I was talking about it, thinking about it. Yeah. Um, whereas haven't thought about footy for so long or spoken to anyone about footy for so long that um, that that's where the, you know, some of those games start to, to get a bit hazy. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's fair. I just wanted to bring it up just in case because it's definitely a talking point um, at the moment these days with every sport. And in 08, as we said, you debuted against St Kilda. Two years later, you go up against St Kilda in the grand final of grand finals, 2010. Everyone knows how it went down, the replay. And then obviously there was the draw, then the replay. First of all, what was that season like as a club? Because every grand final team, well, winning team, you know, says they you know, had that vibe about the club at some point of a winning culture. What was that year like and the peak being the grand final? Yeah, I mean, again, if I sort of reflect on it from my own perspective, 2010 started with me not being a regular senior player. It wasn't mm. until Anzac Day, which would have been about round five. Yeah, I you think. had a blinder that, that game in particular. <sighs> Again, I think you're being generous. It wasn't even a, a blinder so much as what was, um, I guess, memorable about that game was the week before Anzac Day, that was when Mick kind of swung the axe. He um, brought in myself, like Ben Reid, Nathan Brown, Brent McCaffer, yep. a bunch of these um, of us well, younger guys who were kind of on the fringe. And he left a few of the older guys out, one of whom was Lee Brown. It was basically yeah, wow. for, for Brownie. Um, Brownie then went back and got best on ground in the, in the twos a couple of times and, you know, forced himself back in the team and we found That's a way to good play all three of us. Um, but that was um, significant, that game, because it was when Mick played a bunch of us young guys. We all did okay. And then that sort of formed... The base, not the basis, but you know, we had all our established stars as well. Yeah, that, yeah you had that good mix of uh, old and new heads, sort of. Yeah, um, to the point where it was well documented. We had, you know, great players who ended up not playing and through the final series. Guys oh, like mate, there was there was fans in uproar, being like, "Why are these players not playing?" But it's like, again, look at the youngsters, such as yourself at the time. They're just dominating and getting the spot. Yeah, um, and so that was that was kind of the beginning of like the 2010 season for me, if you like. And, and, and then from there, you know, I was felt like I was competing for my spot a lot. I think, I think I may have got dropped one week at, at some point around the middle of the year, maybe for yep. Queen's birthday. Yep. And then went back to the twos, played well and, and got brought back in and then held my spot from there. Yeah, um, nice. And then 
I remember it was about round sort of, yeah, late in the season, round 15 yeah. or 16, and we came yeah. up against the Saints. Yeah. And it was like a top-of-the-table clash, and we just we beat them convincingly by about yeah. eight goals. Yeah, and that yeah. was when it really felt like, okay, we can beat any team in, in the league here. Yeah, okay, um, yeah, yeah. And I think actually we might have – we either just beat or just lost to the Cats again yep. late in that year, and they were the other star team of that era. Yep, and, absolutely. And – now, did we, we, we may have just lost that game, but again, it felt like we could beat any team. And then to the point where when we ran up against Geelong in the prelim final that year. Oh, mate, that prelim. Love it. Champagne football, as I say, for that game. It, it, was it, it was one of those nights where it felt like every bounce of the ball was going our way. and, and Everything uh, clicked. Yeah. And then, you know, that sort of, you know, fast forward to the um, – the grand final and yeah. you know, that first week was pretty. The first grand final week. <laughs> what yeah. was that like? I mean, I, all I remember was one of the things that felt really comfortable about that whole year was we were very much creatures of habit and everything was so routine to the point yep. where every Friday before a Saturday game, I'd go to the same cafe with the same group of guys. We'd all kind of order the same food, sit in the same spot and, and it would just became like that became our real comfort, you know, our routine. It was yeah. okay. You do that on Monday, you'd be down at St Kilda Sea Baths, and you, again, you'd just go to the same cafes and order yeah. the same thing. And I think that became that structure, that routine um, became really comfortable. And I, so that's one of the things I remember that first week of um, the grand final was, uh, you know, the parade. That meant that we had a different. Yeah, um, it would have thrown off the routine. Order. You know, even the training session, we didn't do our normal training session. We were sort of, you know, there was about 30,000 people at training. Oh, um, so that was all strange. And then I remembered one of the feelings I remember was when we drew that game and there was that, you know, sort of aftershock of, Jesus, what happens now? Can we do it all again? Yep. And I remember it felt like we very quickly, um, you know, the the group feeling was, all right, well, we know what to do here. We, you know, recover Going, tomorrow. We have the sea baths Monday. We do this, we do this. And we just kind of fell straight back into our routine. Just another week um, of footy. And felt really confident going into it. We're going up against a team that we'd beaten already that year. We then, you know, felt like we we let them back into the game the last week and were lucky to, to get away with a draw um, because we had the game on, on toast. And so... I remember going at halftime of the replay mm-hmm. and it was almost a carbon copy in terms of, you know, we were, we we're leading, we we're in control and we, we did that in the first grand final. And then we came out in the third quarter and just started playing right into their hands, just kicking long on top of their, their loose man in defense yeah. and just giving them opportunities to rebound and, and making it hard for ourselves to score. Yeah. And then in the replay, we lowered the eyes a bit. We we just kept overwhelming them um, to the point where we just kept scoring. And I was yeah, the replay as the Collingwood fan was great to see. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of about my recollection of the 2010 season. Yeah, nice. Um, obviously, the Mad Monday after the after the grand final. Obviously, you can't speak about what happens on Mad Monday. Stays on Mad Monday. Um, but was there any notable you know fans from the public come up to see? Uh, like any fun or memorable interactions with the public during that well, week? What was interesting about that year, actually, that, you know, Mad Monday, if you like, just kind of the celebrations was yep. it was all, everything was a week late. Like most yep. of us was supposed to fly out 
you know, that next day or I think I was supposed to fly, you know, to a holiday in Bali or something. Yeah. Um, so we pushed it all to the Tuesday to the point where, in, you know, most guys, you win a premiership, you basically got a week-long, you know, series of parties. Yeah. Um, I flew out at like 6 a.m. on the Tuesday morning. So I had a mad Monday and, you know, I had a couple of hours sleep and then, you know, basically crawled to the airport still in the same clothes <laughs> I'd gone out in on the on the Saturday night. Yep. Um, and went to Bali. So it was just a it was just a strange end of season. It was unlike any other. Okay. And that's fair enough. And obviously the following year, uh, Collingwood make the grand final again. I'm not going to mention the game because we all know what happened. What was the, speaking of Mad Monday, as you said, there was a bit of a thrown off Mad Monday in 2010. What was the Mad Monday like the, that year? Was it, um, or the Mad Monday week sort of thing? Was it um, yeah. minus the winning feeling, unfortunately, but the were you able to be a bit more structured with the sort of plans and stuff? I think so. You're, you're testing the memory there. <laughs> I, I think, what, what it, you know, it was a lot more like any other sort of end of year. It's that kind of disappointment at the season ending without winning the whole thing. Yep. Um, but very quickly it becomes sort of a, a good time. You you appreciate being around guys going through the same thing as you. Yep. And, you uh, and, and, you know, you celebrate the season that was. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, enough of the grand final talk because what's what's been said is, can be said a thousand times about the 2010 grand finals. Um, after your time at Collingwood come to an end, you jetted off or, you know, you traded to Melbourne. Uh, what was like getting a sea change for lack of a bit of time going to the D's and, you know, playing a few years there? Yeah, it was, it was tough. I mean, I was really appreciative of the, the D's, you know, because at the time they, you know, shown a lot of interest and really wanted to bring me on. It was, it was tough though. It was, we just finished the 2012 season where we lost the prelim to Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the week before I'd torn my medial ligament in the, the West Coast semi-final um, and limped through the prelim. Um, and, you know, I, I don't even know if I would have been able to get up. I'm sure I would have got up for a grand final, but I was kind of injected up to my eyeballs with painkillers and, and yeah. hobbling around. Wouldn't have been an um, enjoyable time for you if you had one. Yeah, look, it, it was tough going. And so I remember finishing up that season and it was a just a tough season anyway um, and being really motivated to get my body right, have another crack at it, you know, have a big pre-season and, and you know, make up for um, for that 2012 season. Um, meanwhile, the Pies had other plans um, and, and wanted to move me on. And, I mean, I, I get the decisions why I was 24 at the time and had had a disappointing year, not adapting to that forward ruck role that Bucks had um, wanted me to, to play in. Mm-hmm. And, and I get it from a list management perspective. It was, you know, a pretty sound decision. Move on a a guy who's had a bad year while he's still got currency and they were able to get good draft picks for me, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and so what was difficult about that as well is I, you know, I found out the day before I was heading over uh, my wife. That's a bit of a, it. that's a bit of a shit move a little bit. I mean, it's the nature. That's it the is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is what it is. And, you know, I certainly don't begrudge anyone because I completely get the decision. Yeah. Um, that said, it was still difficult to kind of cope with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out and then a few days later went to the US. And so, you know, I was you know, speaking with clubs and my manager, you know, at all hours of the night while I was in the US and they were trying to sort of work out where am I going to go? Yeah. Um, so that was a, a really interesting time, you know, and, and finally agreed on the trade and got it done. And so got traded whilst I was away. And um, remember the D's, they, they had finished outside the eight that year. 
yeah. um, which they'd done quite a bit. And uh, and so I, I was coming off a prelim final. Yeah. And so I, I got home and they, their pre-season had started, you know, a week earlier. So I kind of got off my flight, went into the club the next day, having torn my medial as well and, and yeah. you know, had barely been able to run. And when I did, I, I nicked my calf a couple of times. And so that kind of set off a pretty disappointing um, time at Melbourne just from a body perspective. I think I, I was always just trying to play through injuries rather than taking enough time to recover. Okay. Um, and how did that emotionally yeah. affect you at that time? I mean, at the time, I thought I was coping okay. I think looking back, it was um, probably wasn't coping that well. Okay. It was the, the just the constant disappointment of feeling like my body was letting me down and not doing what my mind was capable of. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my answer whenever things were tough was just, all right, we'll work a bit harder and um, and push through and, and don't sort of give in to, you know, a little bit of discomfort. But um, I think in my time at the D's, I had like 13 soft tissue injuries or something. Yeah. Um, and that just kind of repeatedly happening. I mean, I got one or half a preseason out of my four years there. In um, I think in my whole career, I played round one once. Okay. Um, possibly twice, but again, it's sort of a, a sign that I was always trying to come back too soon and do too much. And um, I mean, if I had my time again, I'd probably make the same mistakes, but I'd like to think, uh, you know, I'd take a little bit more time um, and possibly extend my career by a few years. No, that's fair. Honestly, absolutely fair enough. Um, obviously, we've just covered your time with Collingwood. Your time at Melbourne. Let's get to some fun questions. Who was the biggest pest at the clubs? Oh, I'm trying to think. <laughs> um, can't remember at the pies. It was probably, you know, I was one of the young boys for a lot of my time there. So I was probably one of the pests. But um, <laughs> I'm trying, yeah, I mean, you know, the obvious ones are, you know, your Heath Shores and your Daisy Thomases. Yep. Um, they, they were great value, always sort of, you know, looking for a fun opportunity to annoy people. Um, <laughs> at the D's, I mean, Maxi Gorn used to always try and wind me up, which I, I enjoyed and I'm still really close with him. Yep. Um, and in fact, that's where I'm getting most of my AFL news these days. Is <laughs> that's from Gorny. Talking to Gorny. Yep. You know, I'll sort of call him, how, how you been going? And, you know, I think this year the D's are doing pretty well. Oh, mate, they're doing so well this year. Yeah. So, um, I mean, and that's great for them and, and exciting to see, particularly for the guys who... Um, are still there from when I was there. Yeah, they've been through the trenches of the of the tough times. Yeah, yeah, they've um, you know those who are still there certainly deserve um, to have a bit of success. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, G- Gorney was one guy who's uh, always good fun. Yeah, fair. And who was the toughest opponent individually to go up against? And which club was the toughest for you emotionally, like you know, mentally to go up against? It's a good question. I've never thought of like who's difficult to go up against mentally. I, th- I think that would vary in any given year. Yeah. As in, depending that, where hard, you're at mentally. It wasn't as though there was one particular club who, um, you know, I just couldn't play well against. I think it was more a case of, um, you know, the best teams each year. During yeah. most of my career, Geelong was a. Yeah, it would have been Geelong, I reckon. Um, and particularly, I played a couple of games against them when I was at the D's, there was one day we played them down at Cardinia Park yep. and it was it was pretty wet and I was sort of playing deep in the forward line and I think we had the world record low for inside 50s. We had 19 oh, a day. Shit. And so, you know, I, I was running around in the wet. Meanwhile, I had Harry Taylor 
play on me and Jimmy Bartell and James oh, Kelly dropping those back. Those are the names you don't want playing against you, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty tough to get a kick that day. Um, in terms of individual opponent, um, trying to think who, who I found the most difficult to play on. Usually it was the ones that I didn't like play on were the genuine lockdown defenders. Yeah. In fact, one of the hardest guys to get a kick on was Simon Prestigiacomo. Yeah, because Presti. what he would do was just he'd follow you. You're basically getting tagged. He yep. wasn't having impact offensively or very little, um, but you just every time you thought you had him beat. Wherever you are, he's there. Yeah, yeah. And so I found him one of the hardest players to play on, more mm-hmm. so than um, you know the guys who some of the more rebounding defenders who would back themselves to win the footy, like a, a Brian Lake or. Um, you know, to a lesser extent, even like Alex Rance and Matthew Scarlett, like all, all very good players. Absolutely. Um, but they typically back themselves to to win the footy. So they yeah. weren't, you know, hand across your back all day. Yeah. Um, so at least I got some respite there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Wow. That's such, that's so interesting to find out. Um, what's obviously the grand final would definitely be the answer to this question. So, but I'll ask it anyway. What is your personal highlight of your individual career in the AFL? Yeah, I think the, the grand finals, um, the obvious one. And certainly, um, you know, I didn't have any great accolades or anything like that individually. And so oh, you got the, um, leading goal scorer for Melbourne. <laughs> I, I don't know if I, I would have even got double figures that year. That's how, how few goals we were scoring. Fair. Um, no, look, re- really, it, it is the grand final. And I think reason being is... That's what I take the most satisfaction out of. Yeah. Um, I was constantly frustrated at not playing good enough games or, or you know, good enough series of games strung together, um, but always had sort of a sense of satisfaction, you know, from having been a part of that winning 2010. Yeah, game. you can it, look it, back it, on and yeah. think, I may not have had the best career or whatever. Um, I mean, you did, in my opinion, because as a Collingwood fan, that year just mate it was amazing so but you can look back and think you know each year i was playing injured most of the time but i won a grand final sort of thing yeah, yeah i mean i think one of the most enjoyable wins outside of that was actually a game for melbourne mm-hmm. um and melbourne that was a team when we were second worst team in the league i think um and uh and we played a game at adelaide oval um when they were a you know, a repeat final side and we ended up beating them over there. And I, oh, I wow. played a good individual game as well. And it was just a, a hard fought win. Yep. Um, that That's one that sort of springs to mind, you know, outside of, you know, the obvious success at the pies um, yep. that I've got a lot of satisfaction out of as well. well. I mean, Melbourne and Adelaide always go at each other regardless. That's always a good game to get up for and a good game to watch on the calendar. Um, oh, well, I was going to say something about the D's just then. Um yeah, the Dees was an interesting time. I mean, hmm. I got recruited there by Mark Neal um, to play under him. And, you know, I, I was injured, you know, kept getting injured through the preseason. So I didn't debut until about round seven or eight, I think. Um, yeah. And then Neal, was gone by about round nine or ten. Oh, um, wow. And so it was, uh, it, it was, and the whole You then had to I, prove your spot to this new coach as well. Yeah, it, was a, it wasn't even so much about proving my spot. I think it was just kind of like this this whole kind of plan and vision. The whole plan was I was going, I got recruited to play alongside Mitch Clark, who had gotten there a year prior to me. Yep. Because um, one of the things I did really well was I was a, I was a very good second key forward. Yeah, I, you were. I think the reason um, 
I got a spot at Collingwood was because I complimented Travis's game. I was literally about to say you and Travis Cloak would complimented each other and were damaging together in the forwards. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so that was kind of the intention. I was going to go to Melbourne, play under Neil D um, and, and, you know, form a, a strong partnership with Mitch Clark. Yep. As it turned out, he and I never even had a training session together because one of us was always injured. Far out. Um, and then, you know, he sort of retired briefly and, and what have you. Um, after a couple of years of my being there. So that was kind of, uh, you know, didn't go to plan. I still, in, you know, enjoyed that four years, but it was yeah. a, a frustrating four years as well, just with my body. No, that's fair. Um, and obviously 2016 comes along, the delistment slash retirement, all that happens. How did you transi- transition from full-time footy to retirement? Of, and obviously, I'm guessing, moving to play for Sorrento. And then in the Nepean Cup would have helped the transition a bit, would it? Uh, it's a good question. I was, um, it was tough. It was, you know, I didn't want to, to finish playing, but no, of um, course. That, that was the way it was. And so I was fortunate that I'd, um, by that point, I'd almost, I'd just about finished my degree. So I, I did, you know, that summer, I finished off my remaining units and, and had a degree, you know, by February of that following year. That's, um, that's a good thing to have a, have a fallback for. Yeah, and then, I mean, not that I sort of necessarily utilised it in that I, I went to work for a guy um, in a finance-broken company um, who I'd gotten to know through my time at the Pies um, and so was fortunate again to go and work for, you know, a good company and learn some really good habits. Um, where I, And so I had two years there. Um, I really enjoyed my time playing footy for Sorrento. Yep. Um, made some great mates there and loved the, the club and... As I touched on earlier, I didn't really have a, a local junior footy club as it were. I played, you know, for Bright and Grammar, but I was more into my basketball for a lot of that. Yeah. Um, so my first real taste of local footy um, and country footy. Yeah. And so I really... How good's country footy, let's be honest. It's great. It, it was great fun. Again, it was probably, you know, a bit like my time at Melbourne. Um, I, I tore my hamstring on my calf just about, you know, every month while I was there. So I, I barely played. I didn't even play half the games for them, which was constantly frustrating. But what was nice about it was that didn't impact my whole livelihood. You know, if I, yeah, you know, whilst I wanted to play, if I didn't, oh, well, I'd still go have a beer and, and relax rather yeah. than, you know, it taking it, it consuming my whole days and, um, you know, impacting me quite so much. So I had two years at Sorrento, which was good fun. Um, but my wife and I had just been, itching to to get over here and um you know get to live this new york life and how is the new york life treating you um what are you doing now with yourself in new york um how are you guys coping with you know the pandemic and everything involved with moving to another country especially the united states yeah it's i mean it's it's been a wild ride so far and we're loving it we've been about three years here um you know made the move over i was fortunate i've got a a sister who lives here with her husband who I'm really close with and we got an apartment a block away from them which was great that would have absolutely uh, helped them make the move easier for you guys yeah and, and we've got some great friends here as well and um you know we brought our dogs over from Australia with us oh as well. that wouldn't have so, been cheap far out certainly not cheap and, and <laughs> certainly problematic because they've both got their health issues but yep um you know they're, they're part of the family so it was a yeah of course and um, so, look, you know, bringing them over made it pretty settled, um, moved with my wife's work. And then, you know, I had to go and find a job. And 
So I'm working for a recruitment agency, um, a global company called Michael Page, yep. um, which has been great. You know, they're, they've seen a lot in me. I'm managing a, a team. Um, the, the impact of the pandemic was interesting through that. I went from being part of a, a team of sort of 25, um, 25 people in our um, business unit yep. and then by the end of the pandemic, we were down to about six of us. People wow. are either quitting or getting laid off or furloughed. Um, Definitely lucky to keep your job then, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I certainly was. Um, and, uh, and you know, things are rebounding and, um, you know, I've got uh, hiring people again, which is a nice feeling. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's just been a great way to, to learn how to manage, you know, effectively a sales team and, and learn that skill set, which has been really good. Absolutely. And um, obviously you moved to New York, Manhattan in particular, um, about a year or two before the pandemic. New Year's Eve, did you go and watch the ball drop? <laughs> no, no. Nice. That's something that's been on my radar. I'm trying to think what I would have even... I don't think I've actually been in New York for a New Year's since we've lived here. I came here one year, about 10 years ago mm-hmm. with the family. Um, but again, I think we went to a party, ah. you know, at yep. a nightclub rather than rather than going to see the ball drop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, from what I've been told, it's basically you got no chance if you're not there like the day before New Year's Eve in Times Square yeah. because it's just so busy. And I was about to, yeah, I'll bring up the topic. Obviously, New York is totally different to Australia because it's a very different country, a very different city. Is it like how busy is it um, pre-COVID pandemic and how busy is it now a, a year and a bit after the pandemic kicked off? Yeah, when, when you say how, I guess, like to answer the how busy is it, um, what I've realised is any time of day or night, I'll, I'll walk out of the apartment, you know, and certainly pre-pandemic, and we lived in a relatively quiet neighbourhood, and there's people everywhere you look. There's it's just it's like Melbourne in, at midday on everyone's lunch break, but 24 hours by the sounds. Just about, yeah. Um, and, and then, so it was quite eerie for a, for a very short period um, mm. around the pandemic and when there was sort of various um, protests and riots and that sort of thing. Um, and there was Oh, that, that also brings up, yeah, I didn't register America BLM protests. What was it like um, being, you could say, a foreigner but not really, you know, on, se- on like seeing that sort of stuff happen firsthand? Yeah, it was really interesting. It was, um, I guess, probably interesting is actually a good word to describe it, just in that um, it was a good opportunity um, you know, not having lived and been impacted by it quite so much is trying mm. to learn from people who had and, and, and understand the points of view. Um, the, the, the point I was illustrating about that was that that was like a, a three or four day period. Yep. Um, there'd, there'd been some, you know, protests that, that, and, you know, some opportunistic people started looting and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Um, that was a strange time, you know, taking the dogs out for a walk at night. Um, when there was a stay-at-home order and there not being people on the street was a, a pretty eerie feeling. Mm, um, like a ghost town almost sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, for a, for a city that's usually so bustling. Um, but really, other than that kind of week or so, um, it's been been pretty busy and, um, yeah, it, it's, you know, the city certainly has a lot of energy um, and, and is almost as busy as it was before. Certainly pockets of downtown where we tend to live and socialise, um, you know, it's all pretty busy, which is good fun. No, that's fair. Now, obviously, the real talking point, the beer over in the US. 
obviously it doesn't compare to Australian beer, but what sort of beers or beverages would you recommend for someone who's traveling to New York? That's so my wife works for Anheuser Busch, okay. you know, who own Budweiser, Bud Light, all of those ones. So yep. I'm pretty bound to say all of them. Um, and who, when we moved, they were owned by CUB. So my favorite yep. beer is a, a Victoria Bitter. Oh, um, never. Okay, I'm not a fan, but okay. Yeah, right. So I, I love a, a VB. Yeah. Um, outside of that, I mean, what, what's funny here is a lot of people, any sporting event, people are typically drinking Bud Light or Budweiser. Yep. Um, I tend to drink liquor most of the time. So okay. I'm a big fan of a, either a martini or a Negroni, depending okay. on, on my mood. Yep. Um, but uh, in the summer, it seems like margaritas and frozen margs are pretty oh, popular as well. Yeah, nice. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> oh, bless you. <laughs> nah, yeah, no, good. Um, yeah, okay, that's interesting. Um, and how do you like your steak? Do they have a different way of doing this? Obviously, they do rare, medium, rare, all that jazz, but how do you like your steak over in America? Yeah, I am um, I tend to like it medium rare, you know, if not close towards rare. Yep. Um, I've got actually a group of mates, a group of Aussie mates we get together oh, um, love it. Once, once a month on a Thursday night and we have a steak night. And so oh. we go to the best steak restaurants, um, oh, which is good fun. And actually the, uh, the boys, I, I've only missed one night um, and that was because my daughter was born. Oh, congrats. So, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Which was, uh, so it was the first steak night I missed and the boys went out and um, they got a, a steak well, they got a cow tattooed on themselves. So. Oh, the night you missed it. <laughs> yeah, to brand themselves for steak night. Um, but uh, so, yeah, we're pretty passionate about our steak. I was going to say, that's, that's um, some kind of shenanigans by the sounds because how do you go from going for a steak dinner to going to get a tattoo of a cow? There's probably some drinking involved. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the excitement. You catch up for a drink beforehand and then you, you crack open a, a bottle of red at dinner yeah. and then, yeah, sort of... the you know, there's always something open in New York, so you kind of keep going. And yeah, about about eight of the boys wound up getting tattoos. Yeah, nice. And how's the dad life treating you and how are you adjusting to the dad life? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, I'm so lucky that Paige is an awesome mum. She's just a natural mum. And we're also really lucky that um, our little girl was born um, happy, healthy, everything went to plan. Um, That's awesome. So so she's been great. it's also awesome. We've got a few friends um, who had babies three weeks before us, six weeks before us. So oh, wow. Yep. A really close group of mums that she's close with as well. Um, and, uh, you know, last week we had a house out in the Hamptons, which is kind of the Fancy. equivalent of a <laughs> yep. Yeah. So we, we just had a ha- house down at the beach for a week. Oh, very um, nice. We had the, you know, the three couples with their babies and um, it was a nice relaxing time and that's kind of, that's what a group holiday looks like for us now is, um, you know, doting on babies, sitting by a pool and everyone going to bed early, which is a bit different to, to <laughs> previous groups. Yeah. But, uh, but no, it, it's been great. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm loving it and enjoying seeing that. I think she must be about six weeks old today. Oh, wow. Um, seeing the constant changes every day is really awesome. Wow. You've honestly got a, a long, long road ahead, but it's also probably already feeling like it's going so quick, even though it's been six weeks. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's amazing where the time goes, but no, we're, we're loving it. and It's been great. Oh, absolutely. Um, touching back on your career a little bit, Mick Malthouse, obviously he was a powerhouse of a coach, no matter where he went. What was he like as a coach for you and how did he help benefit your game? 
Yeah, I think um, one of the things Mick, uh, it's well documented, Mick did really well. He had the ability to have to set a standard for the team, but then within that to allow people um, some freedom and to kind of within a, a group standard, treat people differently. He was really good at pushing different buttons. Mm-hmm. The way he would, you know, he might speak to me would be quite different to the way he might speak to another player. Yeah. Um, I found him uh, really intimidating is not quite the right word, but I found that um, I really sort of was always on edge around him and, and worried that I might mess up and wanting to impress him. Um, and, and I think sort of, and, you know, and felt like he was always hard on me. And he actually said to me the night we won the flag, he's like, look, Dorsey, I know I'm, I know I ride you pretty hard, but hopefully you're seeing now that it's all worth it. Um, and, and looking back on it, I played my best footy under Mick. And I think yeah. um, I was a player where if he wasn't hard on me, then I probably wouldn't have, you know, played quite so well. Um, maybe not, but... Um, Sounds like he was a good man manager by the sounds. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, I bump into Mick now. It's always, you know, not for the last three years, but when I've seen him, it's always been great to catch up and... yeah. Um, yeah, not so intimidated by him now. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Honestly, that's that's amazing to hear. Um, I'm just going through the list to see if there's anything else, um, like in particular on the list. We've gone grassroots, the draft, uh, debut, grand finals, uh, move to the D's, uh, transition to retirement, uh, Sorrento. During these days, we basically covered that. Um, so last year, obviously, there was the lockdown. Um Obviously, I don't know to what extent America obliged to that because the media in every country blows it out of proportion. But during the lockdown that you had to go through, what was your Netflix binge? Well, good question. (laughs) I had to watch, I had a pretty nasty skiing accident like two weeks before we all got sent home from work. Okay. Um, So I was couch bound for a month or two there. Um, I'm trying to think the, the sort of shows that we cycled through um, really enjoyed Ozark. That's a good um, one, yeah. We we actually had a trip to the Ozarks planned oh, for wow. it been last summer. Yep. There was a group of us going to go there, but then, you know, about three weeks before we were about to go, there COVID was a had other plans. Yep. Yeah, there was a, an outbreak there, so we had to pivot, and I think we went to Denver or somewhere instead. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, Ozark was a good one. Um Really enjoying a show at the moment called Lupin, which is a, okay. a French show. Um, I, I, and the other one that I, I would just sort of comfort watch um, is some old classics like um, watched a bit of Seinfeld, watched the American version of The Office yep. um, first time, which I really enjoyed, um, and uh, and those sort of shows. Yeah, nice. Um, I was going to say, obviously, Collingwood kind of set the precedence during the time when you were there by being one of the first clubs to do a off like preseason in America, is that what sort of made you start to fall in love with America was those preseasons in Arizona? Uh, that's a good question. Pro- probably not is the answer. And, and okay. you know, having seen a fair, quite a few parts of the States, New York does not feel at all like what most of the rest of America feels like most of and and Arizona included in that Arizona is much more typical of kind of the America you see on movies and that sort of thing um, versus New York, which is just kind of a a 
different kettle of fish. Um, yeah. It's which, like, it's, it's kind of like you're saying, it feels like there's America and there's New York sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it does. It feels, you know, at times it can feel like a, almost a separate country. Wow. Um, it is such a multicultural place. It's a high energy, fast paced, um, you know, city um, that it doesn't feel like, you know, most of the other places in the US that we, we've spent any sort of time. What's your favorite place in America other than New York to visit or, you know, et cetera? Yeah, great question. Um, I was about to say, do you know what I really enjoy is Vail, um, okay. you know, mountain, the ski mountain in Colorado. Yep. Um, we've had a few trips there. Um, the ski injury I alluded to, that was in Park City, Utah. So I don't Ooh. have quite so fond memories of that. Nah, um, you'd be like, not going to Utah anytime soon. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. Um, and outside of that, I mean, really, we, I've been down to Miami recently, had a great time there, but it's certainly, it's, it's not that appealing outside of the beaches. Uh, um, yep, yep. And uh, in terms of other places, I, I really just love being out in the Hamptons, beautiful beaches, um, you know, just a little bit quieter and, and nicer yeah. than New York as well. Have you been to California? Is that where the Hamptons is? Maybe I'm brain farting. Yeah, no. So the Hamptons is kind of like a three-hour drive okay. out east. I uh, like like upstate New York sort of thing. No, upstate sort of due north, okay. and then if you go east, it's kind of like the equivalent in Melbourne if you were to drive down either the Mornington Peninsula. Yep, or the I, I, Peninsula. I know exactly where you mean. Yep, because I visited yep. family heaps. Yep, I know what you mean. Yep. Yep, and then um, yeah, California is really awesome as well. I haven't spent a heap of time there since we've lived here. Mm-hmm. Um, we're over in Hawaii, actually, at Christmas and New Year's. That was a really nice time. Jealous, um, mate. Far out. Yeah, <laughs> again, we sort of got a, a big house with a group of friends. Yep. Um, had a great time then. Um, you know, we've been really fortunate with some of the travel we've done. Yeah, nice. Um, obviously, I don't know if this, this random question just popped in my head. Um, do you see yourself moving back to Australia anytime, or are you going to call America home for the foreseeable future, do you reckon? <laughs> Um, if, if my mum's listening, I'll definitely back in, be back in Australia. If my <laughs> boss is listening, I'm in the U S for the long term. Yep. Um, the reality is, um, probably somewhere in between. I think, yep. um, yeah, certainly not ready to move home. Um, well, especially not with a newborn for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it means we've got an American citizen in the family now as well, which is cool. Um, but no, I'd say at least another couple of years here, but it, it's just going to depend so much on, you know, how her health goes, if we have more babies and, and then what that means to us living here and working here versus, um, you know, what's going on at home. I, I think what I can confidently say is if it's not New York, it's Melbourne. And if it's not Melbourne, it's New York. Absolutely, yeah. Good places for us. No, nah, that's fair enough. Um, and I guess uh, one sort of final topic would be um, Mason Cox, obviously American Pie nickname. He's from America. He's in Collingwood. Um, as as you know, you, as you've said, you don't really follow the AFL too much. But um, being a former AFL player yourself and living in America, is do you see much hype? you know, or in general about Mason making it in the AFL or is it not as commercialised as it is in Australia? Yeah, I mean, I don't know where he grew up, but certainly not. I mean, I, I don't, like I said, don't sort of see or hear or talk much footy here. I, I mean, you know, I've got a big group of Aussie mates here and half of those guys are really into their football, you know, to yep. the point where, 
you know, I'll speak to them on a Friday and they've been up at five that morning watching the game. And then, <laughs> yep. you know, then people are often saying to me, oh, you know, how about the pies? How about the, the D's? But you'd be like, who? Yeah. I don't watch it. Yeah. And it's not that I'm sort of actively avoiding it. No, no. It's, you know, it's not on at a convenient time. Yeah. I've, you know, there's sort of other things I'd rather be doing or watching. Honestly, um, absolutely agreed. Yeah. But that said, you know, particularly if the D's or the, you know, this year it'll be the D's. Um, are in the finals, I'm going to yep. be more likely to tune in and, and you know, might even get up and, and watch a game. I mean, yep. last year with the the grand final, um, we had a group of about 20 or 30 of us. We Because um, it was aired at about 5 a.m. here. We That's all not too had, bad. We, we all, oh, maybe it was even earlier than that. It, it was some ungodly hour. So yeah, okay, just yeah, yeah. In, All right, don't check the scores or, or if you really must. Don't tell anyone else, and we yeah. all up at a, at a reason, you know, at a civil kind had of, it on record and watched. Yeah, it. watched okay. it on delay, and and almost all of us didn't know the result. Um, so that was a great day, and that was a really great game of footy to watch when uh, with Dusty turning it on. Oh, mate, isn't isn't he incredible? Right, uh, three grand finals, three Norm Smiths. I think it was yeah. yeah, Norm Smiths. Like it's funny. Like I think that's a record or something. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, what exactly. what what kind of does my head in is as a Collingwood fan, they went down to Geelong of all teams in the prelim. But I mean, we all know what happened the following week. Richmond won. Um, yes, yeah, so go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you and I were both saying, is Dusty Martin's just one of those great players to watch. He's just so enjoyable to see. Um, you know how dominant a player he can be. I I, I honestly think he's potting. Uh, I mean, I'm I may be assuming too much, but I think he's possibly worth maybe in about ten years' time worthy of once in a generation type player to to watch. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly um, he's certainly you know good enough to be in that conversation for for sure, and um, and that's sort of what makes him a, a joy to watch. Absolutely, um, I think that's about it. Um, I will ask though: Is there any advice you have for any kids who would love to make it in the AFL one day? I mean, if I were to draw on personal experiences, you know, do what you enjoy doing. If that's footy, you know, just have fun doing that. Um, certainly, I think it's a pretty safe thing to say that if you're enjoying it, you're probably going to be happy. And if you're happy, you're confident. And if you're confident, you're going to play your best footy. Now, whether that means you make it to the AFL or not, who knows? Um, if, if you are, you know, one of those kids who's lucky enough and talented enough to, to make it, um, and it means that much to you, then the only advice I'd offer is um, if you really want to make it, do everything in your power. Um, and, and sometimes that's going to mean making sacrifices, be it, you know, you've got to sacrifice some of the social aspects or, you know, dietary-wise, you might not get to eat exactly what you want all the time. Um, you might have to sacrifice and, and work a bit harder than, than other people. But again, if, if that's what it's, you know, if it's worth it to you, um, then that's what you got to do to make it.